Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment's brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Check it out. It's the ultimate and advanced training for commercial real estate brokers. Learn more at CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Well, here we are at the end of 2021. You know, 2020 and 2021 have really made some changes in how we all behave, right? And how consumers behave. It's really had a, a large impact on commercial real estate. Some of it good, some of it bad, some of it in between, right? Well, of these kind of changes, what is permanent and what might last longer and what is really temporary and what is the impact on commercial real estate and what should we think moving forward about it, the overall economy and commercial real estate moving forward, especially into 2022? Welcome my guest is Calvin Snorer. He's Senior Vice President of Research and Economic Analysis with NARI. Calvin, good to see you, sir. Good to see you again, Mark. All right, well, let's, if you will, just start us out you know, with economic conditions because some people uh, are a little concerned. You know, we're seeing uh, a lot of inflation. It seems to be uh, hard to hire good people, get people uh, to work. Uh, some changes, uh, a lot of spending with the government <laughs> going on and a lot more planned. What do you expect for economic conditions moving forward into 2022? The first thing to realize is the economic fundamentals are quite sound. This is a solid economy. We're seeing uh, shortages in some areas of labor markets. It's difficult to hire. We're seeing the supply chain disruptions that are affecting all types of production. And the autos, semiconductors, a lot of other goods and services. Goods are not getting into the country because of supply chain disruptions. And those are contributing to you know, some short-run challenges with inflation. But in keeping with the, the overall theme of what things are you know, due to the pandemic and are likely to be Temporary, I'm not going to say transitory. Fed Chairman Powell recently moved away from the transitory term. Um, I think I would say the term impermanent. You know, transitory means, well, it, it's going away fairly soon. Impermanent means it's not going to last. And a lot of these challenges really are not going to last because they are still tied to high levels of the pandemic. Many of the companies that are having difficulty hiring workers may find that they're hard to get them to come into the, a, a workplace environment with a high level of COVID infections. Similarly, with the supply chain, you know, the ports and a lot of the production facilities weren't able to staff completely with the pandemic. Over the course of next year, I expect those pandemic-related uh, bottlenecks to ease up. We're still going to see inflation running a bit above the Fed's target for most of the next year, um, and that's something the Fed's going to keep an eye on, but we're still likely to have Low long-term interest rates, that's favorable for commercial real estate. We're going to have good job growth. We're going to have good economic growth. 2022 could actually be a better year for the economy and commercial real estate than we had during this past year. All right. That, that's exciting to hear. I, you know, it seems like that's what we're all hoping for. And I guess a lot of it's predicated on uh, this pandemic really ending, right? That's, what, that's right. You know, everything here we've learned is contingent on... Uh, Healthy, a healthy environment. You know, we, the, the economy has learned how to function at a, a moderate level, 
during a pandemic, but to get back to speed, we really need to have uh, a reduction in the pandemic, whether that's you know, vaccines and some natural immunity and, and still some care in social distancing. One thing is businesses, consumers, just people going about their, their, their daily, daily lives have learned how to be a bit more careful about infection from COVID without stopping what they're doing completely. And, and we're going to continue to do that for some time, I believe. Yeah. And, and if any of our listeners and viewers are wondering my stance on uh, vaccines, uh, I'm all about uh, having our own rights. But uh, if you, I, I like people, and I like doing business with people. So if you like people and doing business with people, I recommend vaccines. I'm fully vaccinated. Uh, or as I told someone the, the other day, I'm fixed. <laughs> so <laughs> it's safe to be around me. So what do you say, Calvin, to people who are seeing uh, this inflation uh, and some of these challenges um, that we're seeing uh, in the bottlenecks that you mentioned uh, and its impact on interest rates moving forward. Doesn't the Fed probably need to, to increase rates? Well, we're certainly seeing a level of inflation that is higher than the Fed would be comfortable with and that most Americans would be comfortable with if it were to last for, for a very long period. Um, there are a lot of reasons to believe it won't last for a long period. And the first one I mentioned already is that many of the items that are having price spikes are the ones that are having supply chain bottlenecks. And that's, uh, that, that's just a matter of time, healing up the pandemic, getting the ports, getting the transportation networks, getting production facilities here and abroad in you know, China, Southeast Asia, other places. It's going to take quite a while for the global economy to be hitting on all cylinders. But there's another reason why the inflation is perhaps not as troubling as it would be if you just looked at the month-to-month increases in the change over a year ago in the CPI. What most people are looking at is the 12-month change in the CPI, and it's just been ratcheting up. It's at 6.2%. But we know that an awful lot happened over the past year. You know, what we're looking at with the October numbers is comparing October of this year versus October 2020, uh, 2020 which was very low. Uh, and during that year, we saw a very different pattern. Specifically, if you looked at... Um, the three-month change in the CPI annualized. I have this in the report that I put out. It's available on, on NARIAT's website. If you look at the three-month change in the CPI at an annual rate, it accelerated to 8 to 10% in the summer when the supply chain bottlenecks really became quite tight. But since then, inflation on a, on a shorter-term movement has actually moved back down to 3 to 4%. Now, 3 to 4% is still above the, the Fed's comfort zone, but it's quite likely that we'll see inflation running 3 to 4% over the next year, uh, which, again, if that is partly because of supply chain bottlenecks, I think the Fed is going to be comfortable with that um, going forward. You know, and expect the next year we would get back down towards the 2%. In terms of interest rates, we, we haven't seen long-term interest rates move up a whole lot. I think a lot of the market participants uh, can see pretty well that this is not – a pressure cooker economy like we had in the 1960s or 1970s. This is not a pressure cooker economy. There still is a lot of slack, but we can't access that slack during the pandemic. Right. So you don't expect interest rates then to, to rise much? I think it's pretty clear that the Fed can put interest rates back to a normal basis. You know, the Fed has been keeping their target rate, the, the short-term rate for overnight Fed funds or one month uh, Fed funds, short, short-term rates. They've been keeping that at zero or near zero. It doesn't need to be at zero. This economy is strong enough that that can go back 
to you know two percent or so over uh, a reasonable time period. Yeah. You know, what we saw during the past decade after the financial crisis towards the present was the Fed policy for normalizing interest rates was different than it had been in the past. Previous recessions and recoveries, once the Fed saw that there was some sign of inflation, they raised interest rates every meeting, every meeting, 25 basis points, sometimes 50 basis points. But over the past decade, they had much slower increases. Sometimes they'd wait two or three meetings before they'd raise again. They'd wait four months, five months sometimes uh, and, and do it gradually. I expect the Fed to be gradual with their interest rate movements. It's not going to disrupt the market. It's not going to disrupt the long-term interest rates that we need for commercial real estate. Yeah. Well, Calvin, let's look at some of the things that, that we're all seeing in the world today and what you feel like the impact would be on commercial real estate and, and, then, and then REITs uh, moving forward. One is uh, infrastructure spending. Is that a benefit to the commercial real estate industry? Yeah, it's definitely a benefit to commercial real estate to the extent that it's helping the overall economy. You know, infrastructure is like motherhood and apple pie. Everybody says we want to have more, but it's difficult to get it in place because you can't just say, shovel ready, let's throw some money at it. You have to look at the projects. You have to carry them out. Uh, but having the funding to begin these projects and to carry them out will mean that the private businesses who rely on whether it's transportation, some of the communications infrastructure, some of the other things that are in here, that they'll, they'll get the support that they need to carry out their business. This is a good positive move for the economy. And Calvin, this challenge with uh, supply, with the logistics, um, is it all from the pandemic? It seems like there's really more going on than, than just the pandemic that has caused this problem. Uh, it's funny how much we've become experts on supply chain over the past uh, half year or so. And I've read a number of experts who said that there were strains in supply chain networks even prior to the pandemic. And that's for two reasons. One is that with uh, globalization, we're finding cheaper sources that are all over the globe, all over the world. And that's a lot longer distance. And during a pandemic, just the travel time to get things into the country is making it more difficult. Uh, so people are going to need to invest in the ships and the ports and, and get those long supply chains functioning again. But even aside from that, inside the country, the port facilities, some of the transportation networks inside the country had been uh, close to their limits even prior to the pandemic. People have been buying a lot of goods that need to be shipped. So we need more domestic investment in transportation facilities and more global investment in the, the the shipping, the port facilities. Yeah. Well, let's look at uh, the various sectors, uh, Calvin. As I mentioned in the opening, obviously we all know that different sectors have been hit differently uh, in the pandemic. And as hopefully we're, we're coming out of the pandemic, like I said, hopefully we are. Uh, what are we going to see moving forward? And first, uh, if you'll touch on the, the hotel, the hospitality industry, seems like a, a lot of those hotels uh, in the uh, drive-to uh vacation places, they've been doing extremely well, but boy, these convention hotels have been hurt. What do you expect moving forward? I expect we're going to see more improvement as the pandemic allows businesses to get back to the normal way of doing things. It's important to remember what we were thinking a year ago. The hotels, the lodging resort, were one of the sectors that were really hardest hurt, and many people were thinking, would these companies survive? Well, they did survive. The REITs came into the pandemic with very strong balance sheets. They had lowered their leverage. They had long-term funding. They weren't under 
most of them were not under a whole lot of pressure. So they were able to get through the really difficult time when they just didn't have people coming into the rooms. Now, during the past six to nine months, we've seen a pretty good recovery in leisure travel. People were taking vacations, people visiting family members. You know, as soon as the lockdowns ended, a lot of people wanted to go visit friends, relatives, grandchildren, everything like that. And it's interesting. You look at the hotel data. Normally, the vacancies on the weekends and the vacancies midweek are comparable in a, in a normal environment. During the pandemic, they all fell. In the recovery, the vacancy rates, uh, sorry, the vacancy rates all rose. I got it, got it back. The occupancy rates fell. During the recovery, the weekend occupancy came back pretty quickly. And that's, again, the personal travel, the leisure travel. But the midweek occupancy is still struggling. Now, that's because a lot of businesses are not getting on the road. People are holding online meetings. They're holding online conventions. They're doing conference calls. Um, and I think everyone has realized that an online meeting is a pretty good substitute if you really can't meet face-to-face. Pretty good substitute, but for a lot of you know, high-value projects, uh, you don't want to be doing a six-hour negotiation on the, on the online. It's just not going to work. Uh, if you're getting to know a new business partner, uh, it's, it's nice to meet them in person, get, get a sense that you can't get through the computer. That means that we're likely to see business travel recovering more briskly in the year ahead, and that's going to be helping the, 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 the overall travel business, the hotels but also the restaurants, some of the entertainment to cater to the hotel, uh, to the business travel, the convention activity, that should have a much better recovery in 2022 than it has to date. Yeah, and it makes sense. Um, but, you know, the topic kind of our show today is, hey, what are the behavioral changes that are temporary and, and which ones might be structural changes that will last? And, you know, I do hear some folks say that, well, these online meetings are great. Maybe we won't need to travel as much. Maybe we won't need to have as many conventions. I'm speaking to a group, uh, an appraisal group, uh, this Thursday, uh, and it's all online and virtual. And when I heard it's going to be virtual, I'm like, really? I, I just, you know, I, I'm not even looking forward to it, where if it was in person, I'd be excited about all the people are meeting. So is it going to be a kind of a gradual increase uh, in demand for conventions and then therefore those convention hotels or might we jump back because everybody wants to get out and see everybody? <laughs> you know, this is one of the things that I wish I could tell uh, nobody's crystal ball can really say that, but it's reasonable to expect a pretty good recovery, uh, but there will still be some long-term permanent impact. There are some meetings that you really don't need to spend two days of travel, airports, hotel and everything for a, uh, a couple couple of hour meetings. Some of those things will continue to be done online. Some of the conferences, actually, uh, as an economist, research conferences have been really good because we've been able to searchers from across the country or sometimes across the world who are able to participate for a one-hour presentation that they wouldn't do if they had to travel. So you're going to see a permanent impact. You're going to see a permanent impact that will affect the hotel and travel business. Um, but the, the, the bulk of the business probably will be coming back over the next year to 18 months. Yeah. We're talking with Calvin Snow with Nary. He's an economist, and we're talking about the economy, what to expect moving forward into 2022. And obviously one of the sectors that's been hit is the office world, and the values really haven't seemed to have been hit a lot yet, uh, but certainly office uh, users, a lot of them aren't using their space, especially the larger tenants and businesses we see. 
Uh, what are some of the behavioral changes that might be kind of temporary there and, uh, and what might be a longer term effect in, in the impact on office? The office market is actually really interesting to study right now, uh, just because the permanent versus temporary changes or the non-permanent versus the structural changes are really important. And, and a lot of the discussion is mixing them together. What people are focusing on is how many employees have gone back to the office this month or this week. There are a couple of data sources showing how many people are back in the office. And that's given a pessimistic tone because not a lot of people have gone back to the office yet. And a fair, a fair amount have gone back, but it's nowhere near being completely back. But the real question here is what are the longer-term structural changes in behavior? Uh, how is the office going to be reconfigured in a post-pandemic environment? And really the question there is if a company embraces a, a flexible work from home, but they have some meetings, they have some planning sessions, they have brainstorming or hiring or contract signing, where you really want people in the office, you're going to have some days where you have a peak office requirement. How is the office set up for those peak days? Um, you're going to need to have space for everyone in the office on the days when you want them to be there. It might be one or two days a week. It might be you know, three or four days a month. I'm not sure what it's going to be. But that's, a, that's saying the longer-term structural issues uh, still will make the office the center, the hub of business activity. And then the flexible work from home will let people you know, avoid the commute on days when they don't have those collaborative efforts. So here, the, the short-term or the, the non-permanent changes, it's going to be a while before offices are fully occupied. But the longer-term structural ones are saying, as we move past the pandemic, the office is going to remain where the heart of business gets done. And that means we're going to need a lot of demand for office space. We'll see a more complete recovery in office markets as we go through 2022 and 2023. And Calvin, you know, some of the tenants I talk to are reducing their space uh, square footage wise. Uh, they are really uh, embracing this, this work from home. Uh, and But yet then I see some companies that are actually getting more space for more square footage per person. You're making their office more inviting, more of a place to be, and they're gobbling up uh, space, either buying it or uh, leasing it. Um, and, you know, I'm of the camp that real estate is really cheap compared to turnover of your employees. Uh, but, you know, w what do you say to either of those camps about the future? You know, there are some businesses and some functions that can certainly be online with a lot more of their work. And actually, I think it's a net benefit to the economy and to those businesses if they're able to reduce some of the cost and some of the time and commute and everything that's involved for the functions that are really easily done online. Um, that's not really a majority of businesses. The majority of businesses perform better in the office. That's one reason why offices are such a central part of the modern economy. Um, I, was, I was in San Francisco last month talking to a friend, actually one of my son's friends, who works in the tech industry. He works in artificial intelligence. And I was talking to him about what were his plans, and I, I kind of assumed, you know, tech industry, San Francisco, artificial intelligence, you know, you can work anywhere. Where are you going to be? And he said, you know, this far into the pandemic, if I'm talking how we can code something up or what we can do with a project, it's really tedious doing that online. He said, I like going into the office as much as I can. Now, this is a young man who's been working in the tech industry 
in, and is as suited for telecommuting from anywhere as anyone that I would know. And he was expressing a real interest in being back in the office. I think you're going to see a lot of businesses that the more we get into the future and the more pandemic is in our rearview mirror, the more we're going to see businesses maintaining their full office environment, but allowing some people not to be there and you just have a, a little bit more, uh, a little bit less density on the days when certain people are working from home. Yeah, and that makes sense. Uh, and it surprises me, though, to hear some of these tech companies that are really embracing office space and buying it and leasing it in, in big ways where, to your point, they seem like the type of companies that could be more work from home or work from anywhere than any. any. But then you see some companies, I was talking to an insurance company the other day, just cutting their space by 50%. And uh, when I ask about the new space uh, from, from our tenant rep and them, uh, how much uh, contiguous space do you have or expansion space? Very little. I'm like, that seems like a mistake when you're, trying to, you're going to be in a competitive mode maybe in a year from now. Uh, to get the best employees and to have the most uh, production and efficiency, uh, seems like you're going to have trouble competing. Yeah, you know, when, when you're thinking about the permanent structural versus the impermanent changes, it's also useful to keep in mind the life cycle of a project. You know, there's some things that you just carry out on any given day, but a lot of projects may have lifespans of several months to you know, a year or several years. And when the pandemic hit, a lot of these projects were already underway with existing teams who knew how to work together, and they knew what they were doing. That made it very easy to migrate online. But what happens you know, in the permanent, longer-term situation where you have new projects coming along? You're more likely to need brainstorming where people talk for quite a while without the interruptions of the household, without you know, thinking I'm just staring into a computer. You're, you're, you're more likely to want to have longer-term uh, brainstorming sessions in person. Uh, also, you can have turnover of your personnel. During the pandemic, a lot of teams were already up and running. Uh, you didn't have to hire new people. You didn't have to figure out each other's roles. Those are things that are better done in person. So again, you know, the temporary or, or, sh or shorter-term impact was it's easy to carry out an ongoing project with uh, each of us working remotely. But the longer-term issue is how do we build new projects? How do we build a new business? And that well, is going to require more of a physical presence. You know, whether you're in insurance, whether you're in tech, whether you're an economist, it's all going to have people getting back in the office. Yeah, and that's interesting. I wonder how many of these companies are really thinking long term. It's really we surely get impacted as humans by our current environment and really what's going on. And and it seems like one of the huge benefits I see of the pandemic and work from home has been uh, the lack of a commute. You know, <laughs> it seems like getting rid of the commute was, is the wonderful thing uh, that I've seen from, from all of this. But, uh, um, well, what is the impact? Just, all just before you go, that's where, that's where the flexible work from home comes in. Yeah. If, if you have some things that really need to be done and your office says, you know, let's all be in on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, on Mondays and Fridays or even Wednesdays, if, if you want to carry out what we discussed in our meeting on Tuesday, then Wednesday work from home. You can have the best of both worlds. You'll need an office for the days when everyone is in, but you can have the best of both worlds and you're not commuting every day. Yeah. So what is the impact of all this on the office sector and office REITs moving forward, uh, especially to 2022? How long does it take and how long is this impact there? Yeah, so far, the office sector uh, in, in, in the, the REIT 
office sector has not had as robust a recovery as a lot of the other REIT sectors have had. And that's in part because uh, people have not been signing new leases. Some people have you know, uh, sublet. Some people have uh, downsized their space. And we haven't seen a whole lot of people coming back. That's directly related to the still fairly high level of COVID infections in, in most cities across the country, most cities across the world. So um, as and right now we're dealing with this new Omicron variant, and that throws another question mark at what are we going to be doing over the next month or so. Uh, but what we've seen so far, 18, 20 months into this, is these variants come along and it will cause some challenges for you know, four weeks, six weeks, two months or so on. Um, but it's also had an increase in vaccination rates the past several days. You know, by, by the time we get into the spring, I expect more people to be going to the office. You're going to have more office tenants you know, renewing their leases. Um, we're already seeing sometimes that vacancy rates are no longer rising, but they're actually leveling off and, and even falling in some cities. I think you're going to have these factors contributing to a better recovery in the office rates in 2022 than we had seen in, in 2021. Yeah, well, that, that'll be good uh, to see, uh, certainly. Calvin, what uh, might be some opportunities in these, uh, the impact from COVID and the changes that are short-term and the changes that are long-term in, in, in one of the sectors or, or a couple? Where, where are some opportunities for us? Well, one of the other big ones that we didn't talk about is retail. I think you may have mentioned it at the beginning of your segment. And retail is an area that, you know, has, has been having, like you mentioned with hotel, has had a lot of changes from well before the pandemic began. Uh, retail had been adapting to a business model with e-commerce for most of the past decade. And early on in the pandemic, we saw brick-and-mortar retail sales just plunge. Many of the shopping malls were completely shut. Regional malls were shut. Many shopping centers were shut people weren't going out. And there was a plunge and there was a surge in e-commerce. Um, and that led to people questioning what was the viability of, of a lot of this business. But another surprising thing happened was in the third quarter of this year, from you know mid-summer to early fall of last year, there was a surge in brick-and-mortar retail sales. Brick-and-mortar retail sales in the, the second three months of the pandemic more than reversed the decline that happened in the first three months of the pandemic, cyclical impact was completely reversed uh, over the first 16, uh, the first six months of the pandemic. Um, and since then, retail sales have been really strong. That's one of the things that has been, you know, contributing to the need for a supply chain. Consumers have bought a lot of goods. Now, the opportunity is consumers have continued to demonstrate a preference for wanting to see certain things in person whether it's for the look or the feel or uh, the, the fit of something that you want to buy, a fashion item or something like that. Or sometimes, you know, if you've been spending much of your day online doing work or research or something else, uh, it, it's more relaxing to go and look in the shopping mall and, and visit and see things. So one of the opportunities is looking for the retail properties uh, in the markets that you know, have good job growth, have higher, higher uh, income areas, those are retail sectors, retail centers that are probably going to do well in the post-pandemic environment. I think that's a real opportunity. 
Yeah, I agree. And, and you look at some of the lenders and, and other uh, institutions that are kind of shying away from it. So uh, that might be a good time to, to be looking at that, that sector. And might the same be true for the office sector? Yeah, I would say the same is going to be true for the office. And one of the things about offices is the proximity of your office to business partners, clients, customers, uh, people that you might want to get together for a meeting outside of your own work environment is really important. That's why we have skyscrapers in downtown areas, the, the high rises, because businesses find it much easier if they can get together with their counterparts. Uh, and so, you know, you look in the cities that have a, a, a lot of really high quality office space. They're going to be a really strong part of the business world going forward. And I think there are opportunities there. And I guess the last question in the show, because I could talk to you for hours, and I know we both don't have time for that, nor our audience, but I want to get your opinion on the, the multifamily uh, sector moving forward. It's certainly had an incredible run and really uh, high rental rate increases uh, and strong demand. Uh, what do you expect from the pandemic uh, moving forward uh, impact on multifamily? So the apartment market, the multifamily market, is certainly one of the hottest areas of the economy. Um, and I would say you, we shouldn't look at the multifamily market. We should look at all housing markets. We should look at all residential because the apartment market, the single-family homes for purchase, single-family rentals, manufactured housing, all of these areas are seeing very strong demand. Now, here, it's worth having 90 seconds of history. The 90 seconds of history are that... Fourteen years ago, we had an overbuilding of housing markets ahead of the housing mortgage crisis. There was a huge uh, speculative build where we had oversupply. During the mortgage crisis, the construction plunged, and we had all the foreclosures and everything. It was a real mess, very difficult time. But construction stayed below where we needed to keep up with population growth for most of the past decade. And we came into this pandemic with a shortage of housing units, a shortage of apartments and single-family homes of anywhere from 3 or 4 million, uh, maybe even 5 million. Now, now we only build 1.5 million a year. You're talking a three-year supply shortfall. So we already had fairly tight housing markets coming into the crisis. Now, what happened? A lot of people had been sharing an apartment with roommates, or they had moved back with their family members, and they were taking a spare bedroom there. Um, people who were sharing an apartment, and all of a sudden had to work from home, or had kids who were at home when they were doing things. They needed more space. So we've had a big increase in demand for all types of housing. Apartments, the multifamily REITs have uh, performed very strongly, but also the single-family homes. Now, going forward, we still have that lack of supply. That's why rents are high. That's why prices are high. And with this much of a shortage, you know, three to five year deficit in construction, it's, it's going to take a long time to catch up. That means housing markets, apartment markets, multifamily markets are going to remain firm with high prices and high rents for pretty much as long as you can forecast right now. So it's, it's a good market to be holding assets right now. Well, that explains the three cap rates and tertiary markets that we're seeing for apartment community sales. Well, what would you leave our audience with, Gavin, to think about us for the future? What I would keep in mind is this entire pandemic is so unusual. The economy 
did not come into this with the weaknesses we normally see in a crisis. Commercial real estate did not come into this with the overbuilding or excess supply that you usually see in a boom-bust cycle. Commercial real estate has a long history of boom with a lot of construction, then all this construction weighs on the market and the bust leads to you know, rising vacancies, falling price. We did not have those excesses, these excess supply excesses prior to the crisis. So the underlying fundamentals of the overall economy and commercial real estate really are much better than they would have been during some previous recession. So as the pandemic comes under better control next year and the year after, it'll be easier for commercial real estate to, to, to perform well in the future than it had in the past. I, I think we have uh, several significant difficulties in the near term, the supply chain, the elevated inflation, and of course, COVID. But as we get further and further into 2022, 2023, those are going to recede and the strength of the U.S. economy, strength of real estate is going to reemerge. Nice. So it's going to be a great, happy new year, <laughs> Calvin. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. It's good to hear it, and uh, thanks for coming on. Great information. Have a great day, sir. All right, so thank you for joining us around the country. Hey, please let us know what you think. We appreciate uh, you sharing the show. Uh, and until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Buxton. Take leasing, site selection, and due diligence to the next level. Make the right decisions with on-demand mobile data. Visit BuxtonCo.com. By Bull Realty. For proven commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions, contact me. My email is Michael at BullRealty.com. By Commercial Agent Success. Expert level commercial real estate broker training. Cloud Access One, up to 21 one-hour videos. Visit CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Thank you for reviewing, subscribing, and sharing America's commercial real estate show.